Welcome to the Wayne Rooney podcast. This is Roger Bennett of Men in Blazers. And Wayne, I'll let you introduce yourself. Hi, this is Wayne Rooney of DC United. Everyone always thinks, Wayne, that it was your childhood dream to be the best English footballer of your generation. But your childhood dream in reality, it was always to be a podcaster, right? Next to you. <laughs> I think that was always my dream, to be sat here next to you, so... I'm living my dream. Oh, if you will, it is no dream, Wayne. It is a joy to be here at DC United, Audi Field with Wayne. Just us two Liverpool-born boys who arrived here in the United States, like Scarface and Yentl before us, with nothing, proving it's still possible to arrive in America and make something of yourself. You're having a blast here, right, Wayne? I remember the Beatles coming over in the 60s to the States and... Hopefully I can leave an impact like they did. Similar. So the goal of this podcast is to catch up with you here, Wayne, in America, country you've taken to in football and in real life in a remarkable way. I like to say that you're the best thing England's done for America since it took Piers Morgan back. But in the course of this podcast, we're going to talk about your present here in DC, delve back into moments from the past with the mighty, mighty Everton, oh, Manchester United, England, touch upon your experience of the United States. Let's start big picture. We sit here inside spanking brand new Audi Field in southwest DC, still got that new car smell. We're roughly a third of the way into the MLS season. They were cellar dwellers, DC United. When you arrived here last season, you transformed them. This season, strong start. How are you feeling? Yeah, I feel good, I think. Obviously, as a team, we've started well. We're joined top in the East. A little bit more consistency from myself, from the team, will help us get to where we want to be. But no, it's been a strong start. So if we all looked at the fixtures before the start of the season, we would have taken the position we're in. How much more settled do you feel in MLS this season? Because last year, you arrived in the middle. And it's really like any new job. You had to work out how to navigate an unfamiliar place, find out where the toilets are, how to work the photocopying machine. How much easier has it been for you, this campaign, having had a proper pre-season? I think just first of all, getting to know the league, getting to know the differences, what they are. The travelling's a bit different. Having a roommate is different and it mightn't seem like a big thing, but it's all part of your preparation. The night before a game, I'm used to lying in my own bed and in my own room and preparing, going through the game in my head. And, and, and now you've got Steve Burnbaum yeah. snoring away next year. Now for the home games also, I've always been in a hotel for the home games. I'm at home with the children and it's completely just, different. Just a different routine. Different routine, a different mindset for me to get my head round to prepare for the game. And you have to learn to adjust and deal with it and find the best solution for yourself to be able to do that. You're playing well. I've got to say, it is a joy to watch you enjoy your football again. And are you playing well because of the competition or you're playing well because you're just just simply having a blast? You enjoy football when you're winning and when you're doing well. And I put more pressure on myself than any other individual does. And I want to win, I want to do well. We're joining top of the league and it's where we want (laughs) to be. So um, if we're sat here at the bottom of the league, then you probably wouldn't see a smile on my face as we're playing. Six goals for you on the season season which you've established yourself as the MLS king of set pieces. Free kick Jedi, penalty meister. When I watch you play and there's a set piece in the final third, it just looks like you get that ball and you fancy your chances. 
when I get in that position in the game. I know in my head what I'm doing because I've gone through that routine maybe 20 times, 30 times that week. I want to talk to you about your penalty technique. Two for two this season. Your current style, quick steps, acceleration. The last one I saw, it went like it was hit with a hammer of Thor, top right. What's the secret to a good penalty way? <laughs> to be honest, I've missed a few penalties over my career and I've no regrets on how I take penalties. I try and hit them hard and make the keeper make a good save if the keeper dives the right way and he saves it. Fair play to him, but I try and hit it as hard as I possibly can with accuracy. And I'm not one of them players who watches and waits for the keeper to dive or make a move. I know where I'm going. I put my foot through the ball and I hope the it's far enough in the corner or it's got enough pace to get past him. I don't know if you know this, but your last 50 penalty kicks, 25 have been to the left, 25 have been to the right. There's one in there which hasn't gone on the left or right. There's one <laughs> which went straight down the middle. <laughs> and that was at Anfield. So, um, I scored at Anfield straight down the middle. That's the only penalty I've ever took, I think, which I've gone down the middle. How do you decide? Or are you just alternating? I did the last one left, I'm going right. I do it the day before a game. Practice penalties and whatever way I decide on going, then, that's day it. before a game, that's what way I go. So I'll take five penalties and go the same way five times. I tell the goalkeeper in training which way I'm going to make it harder. So I have to get as far in the corner as I can. And that's our practice. And come match day, I stick to what I've trained the day before. What goes through your mind in that second before you begin your run-up? Are you positively visualising or are you clearing your head completely? Just don't miss. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think, obviously, you know where you're going, but... I think I'd be lying if I said it going through your head is just don't miss. Yeah. Because it's 1v1, it's an opportunity to score, but it's an opportunity to look foolish if you miss. So it's almost a relief when you do score a penalty kick to know that you haven't... Just thank God I didn't have yeah, You haven't <laughs> let anyone down, but it's almost a fear when you're taking a penalty kick, a fear of missing. What players do you watch on television and think, oh, I like that, I'm going to pinch that penalty strategy? Do you watch Paul Pogba's <laughs> slow trotting run-up and think, yeah, yeah, I'm going to incorporate yeah, that? Yeah, no. Everyone's got different styles and I can't criticise Paul Pogba for the way he takes a penalty because he's scored a lot of them. And I always remember Ruud van Nistelrooy. You just never felt he was going to miss a penalty kick and he obviously missed the one against Arsenal 2003, I think it was. Martin um, Keown's best moment. He made up for it the following year and I think he was the best penalty what, what, what was it about him? Pace. Pace and actually bottom left every time. And you never ever thought he could miss this. And he was actually putting us going in for a rebound. <laughs> Talking about United, last question on the opening part of the season. A season is a marathon, not a sprint. Particularly in America, we actually have to summon your best form come playoffs at the end. Sir Alex Ferguson... When did he want his squads to really gel and peak? How deep into the season did he want you guys to really hit your stride? First week. <laughs> I always remember going away pre-season. We went to the States a lot. We went to Asia a lot. It's hard, intensive training. We played games, but then always in the middle of that pre-season, Alex Ferguson would demand we have a night out and spend time with each other and have a few drinks, enjoy the evening and get to know each other and that was him just putting the foundations down. You had to know 
your teammates, where they're from, the background. You had to know how they got brought up as a child to appreciate them and get the best out of them. So he sent you out on the lash? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> and it worked. It was astounding, really, because you go out and just by spending five, six hours in the company of someone having a couple of beers with Completely them. Completely different backgrounds you, all over the world. You learn so much about them in that five or six hours. Fergie knew them. In terms of your own form, though, Wayne, like you do know a season is a grind. You don't want to use up too much of your resources too quickly. Like when do you want your peak form to hit in? It's hard because I think in the Premier League, it has to be consistently from the start to the finish. Where MLS is a bit different. It's more about making the playoffs and trying to hit the right form in terms of when you get the playoffs going on to the next stage and progressing through that knockout stage. But if you want to win the Premier League, Liverpool have lost one game all season and unfortunately it looks like they're not going to win the Premier League by losing one game, which is incredible. Talking about those United days, I promised that we would touch not only on the present, but we'd also talk about moments past. And watching the Champions League semi-finals this week, about which we'll talk in a moment, we're about to celebrate the anniversary of the first time you won the Champions League, 21st of May, 2008, at the Luzniki Stadium in Moscow, Russia. I can't believe this is 11 years ago already. Manchester United won, Chelsea won. United beat Chelsea on penalty 6-5. What's the first thing that comes to mind, your leading memory of that game? The weather. <laughs> the weather was awful. It was a late kickoff. It was a strange surround for us because we're not used to playing that late, but in terms of the actual game. You were subbed off. Yeah, I got subbed off in extra time. and Not happy? Obviously, no, I weren't happy. Of, of not course. happy at all? Not happy. And worst thing about it is standing there watching the penalty kicks and you've got no power to do anything and you're hoping your teammates can produce fear. And it was horrible. But Watching it, Ronaldo, he won't miss. <laughs> <laughs> I read a great quote of yours. It was the hardest thing I've ever had to do in football to watch. Welcome to my life. <laughs> and you said, I have no control over what's going to happen in the penalty shootout. It was horrible. You were essentially Wayne Rooney, the fan. It was horrible. When Ronaldo missed and feeling that's it, it's over. Remember John Terry taking penalties? I remember um, John Terry taking penalties. With England yeah. and not missing. I've never seen him miss a penalty. And as he stepped up, I was just thinking, it's over. He's not going to miss. And thankfully, he slipped and hit the post and we went on to win. So... Literally in that 10-minute period of the penalty kicks, you went through every emotion and to win it, it was just something which, as a young fan growing up watching, I always remember, for some reason, Batistuta always stuck in my head. I don't even know if he won it. I don't think he won the Champions League, but just them European nights and watching him in that purple kit for Fiorentina in the Champions League. That's something which has always stuck with me and to actually that win that tournament. That was the level. That, to win that tournament. You wanted to be in there and yeah. then you were not just there, but you were winning. To win that tournament was just, it was incredible. I will say, when you watch John Terry, who had a chance to deliver Chelsea glory, but he slipped on the wet surface. The rain had really turned it into a bog. He fell on his bum, miscued his shot. The ball hit the post. I bet in that second, you were momentarily glad you weren't taking a penalty win. It's strange because I actually felt for John a bit because... We were meeting up in three days' time <laughs> with England, so it was an awkward moment meeting up, thinking 
what do you say to him? <laughs> do you say unlucky or what did you say to him? Um, how do you? So I didn't address it. We just met up and how are you doing? Went, went on his <laughs> life and what's your step? <laughs> no, but no, never, never said that. Never mentioned it, but. I felt a bit. How's your week Is that what you said? You it was yeah. for him, for Frank, for Ashley. Meeting up with them, it was, it was hard. It was a hard time, and obviously after the Champions League, that was the year I got married as well. So, a great year for me personally. We are remembering Champions League's past. We got to talk about a Champions League present in a week in which we watched two performances, really of legend. One by Liverpool, and then when we didn't think we'd ever see anything like that again, just 24 hours later, Tottenham Hotspur, borderline miracles. Where did you watch and what did you make of it all? I picked the children up from school, so I got home for the second half of the Liverpool game. I watched the first half on the phone in the car. I got home for the second half and me and my wife had a meeting. So I was getting changed in the bedroom. My wife's a Liverpool fan. And then it went from 1-0 to 3-0. And as I'm getting changed, I heard the door open. <laughs> and I knew exactly why the door was opening. Liverpool can do that to you. If you go to Anfield and try and play football in the big nights, you have to be at the top of your game, otherwise Liverpool will show you up. And It was surprising, but also it weren't a surprise at the same time to see them win. And I was almost more surprised by Tottenham Hotspur. I mean, they came back within a game, having leaked the first two goals. And speaking to players like Jamie Carragher about Istanbul the legendary night for Liverpool, he, he said there were moments when we were running around 3-0 down. We weren't like, let's get back in this. We were more, we're human. And we were like, we are humiliated. We are humiliating ourselves with the world watching. How does it happen? Is it just that modern football emphasises attack now so that anything can happen? I think it's more a pride. If you're losing at the time, you were 3-0 down over the two legs, and you're losing to Ajax, who had no disrespect to Ajax. Obviously, they've done fantastic. But to be losing... I always felt if Tottenham lost that game and didn't go through, it'd be something they'd regret for the next 10, 20 years. Because the players? The players, the club, everyone. Because that's the opportunity for them to get to a Champions League final. You could see they got the first goal. And you could see the players grew. They were like, we can do this. You could see the energy come back. They almost seemed like they grew two feet taller just by one goal and then gradually it went on and when you think it's not going to happen Lucas Moura gets his third <sighs> goal and it's a great night for Tottenham so I was delighted for Tottenham hopefully they can go one step further than we're because I was going to say know, that would be probably my highlight of the year watching them <laughs> win that if they do <laughs> Liverpool Spurs 200,000 English fans descending upon Madrid. That is one night for professional beer drinkers. June 1st, Champions League final. It is a bit of a nightmare for Everton and Arsenal fans, isn't it? Not so much for Everton, I think. As an Everton fan, you used to Liverpool winning trophies. Not so much over the last 10 years, but you know Liverpool is a fantastic club. It's got a great history, so you know they're going to win more trophies than Everton. That's just the way it is basically and for Arsenal fans I can imagine it to be a lot harder because Tottenham historically don't win anything and they're consistently now making the Champions League and now to get to the final if they win it and Arsenal haven't won the Champions League I'm sure for Arsenal fans it's a lot worse than what it is for Everton fans Do you remember Istanbul 2005? When yeah Liverpool, um, how, how did you handle that as a blue? Was it unbearable? I was actually in a pub in Liverpool with 
literally 95% of the pub was Liverpool fans. So I remember at 3 0 at half time, I was actually playing on a fruit machine. Just stood there, just <laughs> like, like slot smiling. Machine. <laughs> slot machine. Just smiling, just happy, not rubbing it in, just thinking it's a good night. <laughs> and then 50 minutes, 70 minutes later, including next time, I was just like devastated. I couldn't believe it. The whole pub erupted, and it was just almost like I had your house robbed. It's like, what just happened? How have they just done that? So. It was amazing, but Liverpool are a football club, we can do that. They've done that over the history of the club and you'd have to respect them, them and I think they've got great fans. The fans are amazing. And, and Divock Origi and Lucas Moura now replacing Ronaldo and Messi <laughs> in the GOAT conversation. Although we all know that Tony Hibbert, Mr Tony Hibbert, is the real true Go. We are taping this ahead of Sunday's conclusion of the Premier League. I did like your quote earlier in the season that it would be, you told the English papers, a quote, nightmare for Liverpool to win. You've been cheering for Manchester City down the stretch, I presume. Yeah. I can accept Liverpool in the Champions League. They've won it five times. To win it six times, it's not a disaster. But to win the Premier League, <laughs> it's just... I can't think of, about it here. What was it like for you to watch Vincent Company bring the hammer and summon that winner against Leicester City? An old man, you know well, saving <laughs> the day. He's younger than me, so he's not that old. You're looking good, Wayne. No, Vincent is a really nice guy. We speak outside of football, so we've had a lot of battles against each other, but to see him come through the injuries he's come through, he's had a hard time in terms of getting fit and staying fit. And a lot of people, when... Guardiola come said he hasn't got a future no more at Manchester City and to see him score the winning goal although obviously I wouldn't like any of them to win it if one of them two teams are going to win it then it'd be City all Pep, day Pep loves him loves him you can't help but like him as a player I know he's doing his coaching badges he's coaching the women's team now as well so it'd be great to see him stay in the game as well I mean, that goal was the most un-Pep Guardiola goal of all time no possession no build-up, just lashing his foot through the ball. You've done that. Sometimes Newcastle. that happens, yes. You go away from the philosophy and you be a bit spontaneous. And if Brighton get anything off Man City at the weekend, I'll literally bury me head in the sand because I can't bear to see Liverpool win that. Oh, you and me both side by side. In the Premier League, I've got to ask you, what's it been like for you to watch Manchester United this season? The darkness at the start, the heroes return for Ole Solskjaer, 11 straight games without a loss. Joyful, joyful football. Seemed like he could turn the team around by just telling them stories of glory from the past. And then just the end of the season completely flipping. It's a tough one because to watch Manchester United struggle is always tough. When Ole come in, he'd done a fantastic job and you could see the players were given that bit of freedom and you could see they loved it and they earned the right to win games with how they were playing. But then all of a sudden, I don't know whether it's players are getting linked with other teams and players down tooling. I don't think it is that, but for some reason he just didn't perform the last seven, eight games of the season, which has cost him. And How do you change it, Wayne? I think the players need to fear someone. They need to fear Ole Gunnar, they need to fear Michael Carrick, they need to respect him but fear them also. The way the game has gone has changed. The society has changed. You've got social media. You've got players losing the game and then posting something on social media about the new 
clothing range or a new aftershave, whatever they're bringing out, which I find remarkable. So when fans speak up on it, saying, why are you posting that? They always have the marketing people to blame, which take responsibility. They work for you. The marketing people work for you. I have people who do similar stuff for me, and yeah. they'd never do anything without my instructions. You can't separate yourself. <laughs> yeah. If that's what you're doing, you're sitting at the top of that business, you have to take responsibility for that. And these players almost like to find someone to hide behind, whether that's on the social media or whether that's on the football pitch, and that's what to do. You're talking to me, a man who wears Leighton Baines aftershave. So I need to segue into Everton. Has Baines got an aftershave? I wish he did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing it on him. That'd be amazing. <laughs> what would that smell of? Leighton Baines aftershave. It would just smell of... Oh, human wonder and perfection. The first season for Everton under Marco Silva. Pessimists, like me, feel it was a bit of a lost season. Optimists are like, oh, we're bedding in. We've got Gomez, we've got Digne, we've got Rich Arlison. Progress was made. Where, where are you in terms of what you've seen this year? It's crazy because if you look at the league position, it's the same position Sam Aldice finished in. And you're like, where's the progress? But I think as a football fan or someone looking at the performances, looking at the way the team's playing, you can see progress. I think it's a good thing Everton don't finish in the Europa League. I think for Everton for next season to have a a season without European football, a game, but a season where Marco Silva can bring more players in. He can try and get his philosophy over to them players. It'll help massively not having the Europa League. It's just a distraction. Yeah, and then hopefully they can progress to break into that top six. Because before the season, if you would have said to any Everton fan, what's your ambition for the season? They'd say seventh place. I was hoping for fourth, Wayne. Yeah, no, but (laughs) I think realistically, anyone knows that Everton aren't going to break into that top four. Next season, they won't. They won't finish in the top four. Um, They'll do well to... Spoiler alert. No, they'll do well to get... Seventh place, but they have to progress over the next two, three, four years. Gradually keep progressing, and then once you do progress, then you can bring one or two players, like maybe a superstar, to take them to that next level. Maybe a couple of players who can take them to that next level, and that's where Everton is. And hopefully, over the next few years, they can do that and maybe do a Leicester and win a title. <sighs> From your mouth to God's ear. You've been watching the Premier League from America. What is it like for you to watch from across the narrow seat? Is, is part of you watching, knowing that you are playing so well and thinking, wow, I should be playing it back there in the fray in England? No, um, I've had my time in the Premier League. I've had my time for England and I've no regrets at all about leaving the Premier League. I'm happy with what I've done in that league and I'm excited for what I can do in MLS. So it's never been a case of oh, I wish I was back there playing it's almost a case of watching it and enjoying it a bit more as a fan rather than being involved in it I mean, you love it here and they love you I mean it's been a joy to watch from afar from New York to watch the DC fan base genuinely embrace you there's a sticker of your face cropping up all over DC which says Rooney one of us and I do get the sense you're genuinely loving it and not just on the field, but off it, exploring the city, its sports offerings, the mall. Now you've settled in, gotten to know DC a little bit. How does it compare to Liverpool and Manchester? 
It's different, obviously, in my opinion. Liverpool is the greatest city there is. You'll find they're working. <laughs> I'm proud to be from Liverpool and Manchester, not so much. It's a nice place to play your football, but in terms of a city, it's not as good as Liverpool. That's and a fact, by the way. Yeah, this is not that, debatable. <laughs> no, so, living here in Washington, it's been great. My family have settled in well. My kids are really settled in the school and we're enjoying it. So, Which American sport have you found yourself most interested in? You've been to the Capitals, the Nationals, the Wizards. Which do you find yourself on television watching kind of more? Probably baseball. I don't know why, because... I hate cricket. I hate it. I've never got into it at all. So, so when I come one? over, I was thinking well, I can watch some basketball, watch some hockey. When I went to baseball, I think it was just the anticipation of them hitting a the home run, and that's the one I enjoy most. So being to watch it a few times, and if it's on TV, now I'll leave it on. I hear you, you've shopping your skills on EA Sports Madden in the locker room. How's that going? I've actually played on Madden for the last 10 years playing against Wes Brown and beating him <laughs> on him. So Wes is massive into American he sports is. and he, he loves his basketball, he loves NFL and I remember playing Madden for the first time and beating him and it was like you tell him you're the you've really been playing this for a long time. He's the worst Brown since Cleveland. So um have you had a steady stream of house guests, Wayne? One relative or friend after another coming over from England, is that? So Clean's mum and dad come over, Ben Clean first, come here with the kids. And then you come over after Christmas when we come back for a month. But you not had everyone in your life? Just like, no. Oh, I couldn't have that. When I lived in Manchester, it was perfect because it's just far enough away where people don't want to come. Or they can't just get in the car and drive up. They have to phone you to see if you're in. And then you can just say, no, I'm not in. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't really like people coming all the time. Now and again, it's great. You and me both, Wayne. You and me both. Last question. Have you fielded a ton of questions from former teammates? I'm not naming names, Jags. But have you heard from a lot of your former teammates about the MLS, potential move, what's it like? Not really. I think I think nowadays football players, they don't really let you into the business. And I think that's a big difference in the Premier League. You can be a teammate and spend 10 years with a player and not have a clue what they earn, not have a clue what they're doing with the money. Business-wise, in the Premier League, everyone's a lot more private. You didn't even know Lane Baines had his own aftershave. Well, I hope not, because <laughs> <laughs> Baines, he's, he's a good character. And Actually, if there's one player I could see coming here, it'd be Baines. But it'd be more to LA, because he's, he likes his skateboard. And, and his and culture. He's a bit weird. His music. He's a bit weird, yeah, so... It'd be more LA. Nothing would make me happier. Wayne, it is fantastic to be with you. It is a human delight to watch you play with such joy again. I mean, the joy that you displayed when you broke through as a kid. It's been great. Um, See you next month and hopefully there's a few more headlines for us to speak about. What a gent. We can't wait to reconvene with Wayne again in a couple of weeks for the second episode of this series. And remember, please... Subscribe, rate and review the Wayne Rooney podcast on iTunes to more courage.